It is Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke. Are you ready to get geeky? We're going to do something a little different today. Instead of a guest, I'm going to introduce you to a new stat called Points Gained. It's how a way to evaluate offensive players, teams, and their efficiencies. And we're going to try it for predictions for the upcoming season. Which teams, according to the stat, points gained look best? A surprise Western Conference offensive juggernaut? An Eastern Conference team ready to explode on the scene, not named Portland, Philadelphia, or Toronto. And the value of LeBron to be tested. All of those things coming up in a points gained edition. Predictions for the 18-19 season on Locked on NBA. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome to Locked on NBA Thursday edition. I'm David Locke. Often on this show, we have a guest and do an interview. Today, we're going to do something different. I'm going to introduce you to a statistic. Formerly, for those of you who follow me at Locked on Sports on Twitter, known as Pact, we've changed it to points gained because we think it's a bit easier to follow. Uh, and take you through what the statistic is and then Western Conference predictions and Eastern Conference predictions. Uh, this is... A stat that I use, uh, somewhat proprietary, haven't given it out a lot. It's not used by the big ESPN. It's not used by the big whatever else. Uh, but I think it's one of the best metrics on how to value an offensive player. I used it for the first time last year on a team level to predict offensive capability and had some success, and I'll explain that to you, and then we'll get to the prediction. So that's the plan today. A little different, no guests, a lot of me, uh, pretty geeky stuff. Tomorrow on my local podcast, Locked on Jazz, I'll be hosting a live show, so if you have any questions on that, or if you'd like to just hit me on Twitter, at Locked on Sports, with a question, and I'll get to those. So the, the premise of the statistic, points gained, is what one player gains in points compared to an average player over the course of a game. So Steph Curry is the league leader in points gained. He uses 19 and a half scoring opportunities a night, and he scores 4.7 points more than what the average player in the league would do with those 19 and a half scoring opportunities. So Steph Curry's points gained is 4.7. Second last year was Kevin Durant at points gained 3.5. James Harden third at 3.1. Carl Anthony Towns fourth at three. LeBron James 2.85. Anthony Davis 2.8. Five as the sixth best, Kyrie Irving, 2.17. And then, interestingly enough, Rudy Gobert at 2.1 and Clint Capella at 2.089. And Giannis is 10th at 1.9. So those are the players who, with the amount of scoring opportunities they use on a given night in the NBA, score more points than the average player. It used to be called PAC, Points Above Average Created. But after actually reading the book, Every Shot Counts, about golf and the way that they're characterizing their statistics with strokes gained, I thought it would be easier if we referred to it as points gained. So those are the, t- and that's traditionally how it works. Those, it, there are usually three players that are above three points gained, about 10 players above two points gained, and then everything else kind of fits in there. Zero would be average. If you go back to the 16-17 season, 
Kevin Durant was number one in the league at 3.8. Isaiah Thomas was number two at 3.4. And then Harden, Curry, LeBron, Gobert again, Carl Anthony Towns, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, DeAndre Jordan, Nikola Jokic, and Danilo Gallinari, as well as Bradley Beal. And again, you had the kind of that same breakdown. Two or three guys at plus three, and then ten guys over two is kind of the way that it most often comes down. 15-16, Steph Curry had one of the greatest seasons of all time. His, his, plus, his points gained on average night was 5.8. Incredible. Durant's final year in Oklahoma City was amazing at 4.1, then Harden 2.8, Leonard 2.6, J.J. Redick in the Clippers 2.3, Clay Thompson 2, LeBron and Hassan Whiteside uh, all there. Uh, and we will, over time, uh, It's we have done the pack now points gained for all of the seasons in the history of the NBA and we'll be able to go back through some of those uh, for you. How great is Durant? If you go back to 14-15 it's the same three guys. It's Durant Curry, Harden on the top of the list. That's the year Kyle Korver snuck in there and was amazing in Atlanta. Explained how they won uh, 60 games. Anthony Davis was up top. Go back to the 13-14 season. Durant at 4.7. LeBron at 4.5. Harden at 3.1. Actually, Brooke Lopez in his Brooklyn year snuck in there with Steph Curry and Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Love. Um, so that is the, the metric that we're using, which is points gained. The second level where I've used points gained is to see which teams are analytically the smartest. What you do there is you look at where the shot selection is of each team on a given night, and if a average team, uh, or if everyone were to shoot on league average with their shot selection, how many points gained. And this is where what Mike D'Antoni in Houston do is so special. Houston last year on every given night, was 4.35 points gained. So just based on their incredible shot selection of taking 50% of their shots from three, 32% of their shots in the restricted area, Houston had a points gained of 4.3. How remarkable is that? Number two in the league was the L.A. Clippers at 2.1. So the Rockets were two times that of the number two team in the league in points gained just based on shot selection. Now, they they weren't, their effective field goal percentage turned out to be second best in the league. I think if you look at their equivalent uh, field goal percentage on second spectrum, which is what they did with their shots, it's not superb. They just shot so darn well. The top five offensive analytic teams in the NBA last year offensively was Houston at 4.35, the Clippers at 2.16. Doc Rivers doesn't get a lot of credit for this, but this is also DeAndre Jordan. This is what will be interesting to watch in Dallas this upcoming year. Dallas last year took 27% of their shots in the restricted area, the lowest number in the league. The Clippers took the highest number of shots in the restricted area, 39%. Their 39% shots in the restricted area allowed them to have the second-best points game. Just to back up for those that are not familiar, Here's the way to look at analytics. This is just simplifying it a great deal. Shots at the in the restricted area are 1.3 points per shot. Shots in the corner three are 1.2. And above the break three is 1.1. So 1.3, 1.2, 1.1. That's simplifying it a little bit, but it makes it easier to remember. And then 
anything that's not in those areas. Restricted area above the break three, corner three. So even paint, non-restricted area, or mid-range is .8. And it's a, that's a huge difference. Free throw line, by the way, still 1.5 points per trip to the free throw line. And is free throws have been on a steady decline with the advent of three-point shooting. And the team that can start going to the line again <clears throat> will be getting the most edge here. Uh, I've decided the perfect composition of an offensive team is 40% of your shots in the restricted area and 40% of your shots is threes. It has not been achieved. The Clippers last year were 40% of their shots in the restricted area, 39, and 31% of their shots as threes. So Rockets were one at 4.3 points gained, 4.4. Clippers were two at 2.2 points gained. The third best team analytically on offense last year was Toronto, 1.7 points gained. This, again, solely based on shot selection, not whether shots are going in, not the whether you made the shots, just where you're shooting from, the edge you're getting from taking the correct shots. Fourth was the Lakers at 1.6, and fifth was the Cleveland Cavaliers at 1.4. The one I think's most interesting is defensively, those teams that have a defensive structure that actually forced teams into taking poor looks. Brooklyn was the best in the league at that. They had a terrible defense. They did a terrible job once you took actually defending the shot. But they only allowed 30% of the shots in the restricted area and 28% of the shots as threes. Generally forced people into uh, the fewest amount of smart shots in the league. They were number one. Brooklyn actually, interesting to Brooklyn, they're the number one analytics team in the league combined uh, offensively and defensively. And if you look back at Philadelphia, that's very much where Philadelphia was when they were developing and then started. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Brooklyn, a little bit pickup of talent this year on that roster, doesn't have a huge defensive jump as they get better, play with better players. Um, that's what Philadelphia did. They were a terrible defensive team who was playing defense correctly, and as their players got better and B got healthy, they were able to make that jump. Uh, the second best team defensively, analytically, was the Philadelphia 76ers to the point in which I'm uh, giving you right there. The third best was the Dallas Mavericks. Will DeAndre Jordan have an impact on that? 27% was all they allowed in the restricted area last year. Getting Before getting Jordan, they were the best team in the league at not allowing restricted area shots. The Clippers last year, which I always find very interesting, have never been a good team defending the restricted area with DeAndre Jordan. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what his impact is. The Utah Jazz are the fourth best team in the league analytically, defensively, uh, 1.3 points gained. Uh, they allow 30% of the shots in the restricted area and only 31% of shots as threes, and they allow the second fewest uh, or thir- fourth fewest corner threes in the league as well, uh, which are even higher values. We mentioned Portland is number five, and then Portland had this incredible statistic last year where they only allowed 55% shooting in the restricted area. The next closest was 59 So that is the premise of points gained. A little look at how teams use it analytically, how it works individually. When we come back, I'll look at the Western Conference predictions. 
and then the Eastern Conference predictions. Are Is there any value to this? I'll explain whether and give you the data that we have on whether it's working or not. This is evolving a little bit, and uh, you'll get to learn about it, and we'll give you a premise or two as well, which you might say, eh, I'm not really buying. That's coming up as we continue on Locked on NBA. Training camp's open next week. All your daily podcasts on your local favorite teams. If you have a local favorite team, make sure you've subscribed to your favorite Locked on NBA podcast. Points gained as a way to evaluate and predict. This is only the third year I've done this. The first year kind of kept it quiet. Last year, we predicted the offense of the Western Conference teams through this points gained statistic. We got the top two. The big story I had at this point last year was that Houston was as good as the Warriors were offensively, which at the time was somewhat newsworthy. And uh, that turned out to be true. We got seven of the top eight correctly. Uh, one of the teams we didn't get was the Spurs, but Kawhi Leonard's injury changed that. So I feel like we almost got the top, you know, we may have actually kind of nailed it last year. Uh, we projected last year that Portland's offense would struggle. They, in fact, did. We projected Carmelo's impact on the Thunder as being negative offensively. That turned out to be true. Um, predicted the Thunder to have the eighth-best offense in the West. They ended up with the seventh-best offense, again, only because the Spurs slipped. We projected Portland last year to have the tenth-best offense in the West. They ended up with the ninth-best offense in the West. Uh, we projected accurately that the Rockets would be good as Warrior. We missed badly on Sacramento, who we thought offensively would be good, but then they didn't play their veterans. And the Lakers' offense last year was much better than we projected. We had them at 15th, and they finished 11th. One aspect of this that's interesting for this year specifically is the LeBron factor. This method does not give a lot of credence, or actually gives no credence to the value of teammates which I'm not sure that I disagree with. In almost every case, and I know this is kind of a hard thing for people to chew on, in, I do not believe that teammates impact individual players' efficiency. Now, the corollary to that may be LeBron, Chris Paul at his peak, though I don't think he seems to be doing it in Houston anymore, maybe a Steph Curry or a Kevin Durant, but it's hard to tell. And frankly, Russell Westbrook looks to have a negative impact on his teammates. But other than maybe one, two, or three players in the NBA, and I'm not even sure that that's the case, it does not. I do not see any trend when a player changes teams that their efficiency changes. In fact, the opposite is true. When players switch teams, their efficiencies generally stay the same. Now, this season, that's going to be interesting because the Cavaliers, as when we do the Eastern Conference in a minute, you will see come out very well, and the Lakers come out very poorly. And the question is, does LeBron really just pick everybody up around him? And does... And will everybody in Cleveland fall apart without LeBron? And will everybody in L.A. get better? If that's the case, this metric is flawed. So if you believe that, you're going to have a hard time with this. But let's start with the Western Conference. Here's how the offenses rank in the Western Conference. Then I'll talk to you about how you build predictions out of it. The Warriors, number one by a million miles, but not quite as good as last year. 8.9 points gained, and the second team is 3.9 points gained. Houston takes an enormous drop. Last year in our prediction models, Golden State was a 
points gained. Houston was a 9.3. They are now a 3.5. A huge drop. The Clippers were third last year at 6.4, and obviously they're not the same. Minnesota was fourth at 3.4. Our second-best team is 3.9. So the gap between the Warriors offensively and the second-best team is bigger than it's ever been. The team that ranks number two offensively in the Western Conference is the New Orleans Pelicans. What? Let me explain. One aspect of points gained is that it, and the premise I think is true, is that negative players are very, very uh, impactful in a negative manner more than people realize. That the player who is a negative points gain player because if you think about how few players were really big positive, there's only 10 players, there are two or more points gained, that those negative players are really dreadful. Anthony Davis, who's prime for a major season, is a 2.5, and then everybody surrounding him on this team are generally slightly above average. Darius Miller is a plus .8. Each one more, plus .8. Nikola Miritich, plus .6. Chick Diallo, .5 positive. Drew Holiday, 0.5 positive. Julius Randle pickup, 1.3 positive. Alfred Payton's negative, but at the exact same as he as Rajon Rondo. DeAndre Liggins is a little negative, but uses very few possessions. And Solomon Hill had a very bad year last year as a minus 1.6 and may not even be that bad. They come out as a positive 3.9 and the New Orleans Pelicans come out as the second best offensive team in the Western Conference. A big surprise in the way these projections came out. Um, and again, I can alter them and do that, but that's not that this is about. This is simply numbers analysis and worth kind of a keeping an eye on the Pelicans there. The, the Nuggets come out, no surprise, as the third best. I took Isaiah Thomas as the mix of his last two years, which makes him about an average player. The hip injury now has been revealed, and they've signed Donald Sloan. So you kind of take IT out of this. Um, but this is another team that has almost nobody that's negative. Jokic and Harris are plus 1.5 points gained and 1.2 points gained. Uh, and then the taking away Emmanuel Moutier is a big step forward for them. Millsap was average last year. And Dallas comes in as a positive 3.6 and is the third best offensive team in the Western Conference uh, for, this, for this season. And overall, Denver comes in as... Uh, the fourth best offense in the entire league. The New Orleans Pelicans come in as the third best offense in all of the NBA in this metric. Houston slides to fifth. Why? Because seemingly every player Houston added is a negative offensive player. And the, and the impact of the negative points gained is significant. Carmelo, 1.5, 1.7. Uh, negative 1.7 points gained. Marquise Chris, minus 0.7. So what Carmelo means is in the 16 scoring opportunities that Carmelo uses, the average player in the league is scoring 1.7 points more than Carmelo if you distribute those possessions. Um, what's interesting is 16.1 scoring opportunities, the exact same that Trevor Arisa and Luke Mbamute combined for, and they were positive. So it's a really big swing in that change right there. Uh, Brandon Knight's negative one, though the knee injury not clear how he's going to step forward. And if Michael Carter-Williams gets those minutes instead, he's a minus 1.4. I don't actually have him on the list. Marquise Chris is a minus 0.7. So 
here's a and they have a ton of possessions, so they have to equalize them out a little bit. They may come out a little bit higher just because I think they'll equalize those possessions out. Uh, our system uh, equalizes them equal distribution when they have too many possessions. They have the most possessions of any roster right now on them, and so it brings them down, and they probably will jet up ahead of that a little bit, be right up there with Denver, right up there with New Orleans. There's not a very big gap between um, where these teams are. Um, they're, the, they're all... Uh, the Warriors are above everybody else considerably uh, with their obviously with their offensive ranking, and then number two in the league is Toronto. We'll get to three is New Orleans, four Denver, five the Rockets. Staying in the Western Conference, the next best offensive team, surprisingly, is Utah, but they've gotten rid of most of their negative possessions with Rodney Hood and Joe Johnson, so they rank fifth overall offensively in the West. Minnesota. With the Jimmy Butler news the last 24 hours, still holding him on the roster as the sixth best offensive team. The Clippers, interestingly, are seventh, and San Antonio is eighth. Let me address both of those for you. The San Antonio one's really interesting. Let's start there. San Antonio very subtly got rid of a bunch of negative possession guys. Um, you know, they're big names. We, we've known to, to respect and adore them over the years. But Tony Parker wasn't good last year. So the loss of Tony Parker is them getting rid of possessions that were being used in a negative fashion. Danny Green was a minus .8 points game player last year. He's gone. Um, Manu was actually even, but Tony Parker was a minus .9. So if Kyle Anderson was a little above average. But what, what they did is they went and brought in Marco Bellinelli, who's a positive uh, pa- uh Points game player, Jakob Pertles of 1.1 positive points. Um, DeMar DeRozan is actually just dead even. He's just an even user. That's 21 possessions at average, which is a big deal for them. And Derek White should have a very good year. His early signs on points gained is very, very good, despite playing limited time uh, last season. A little unnatural three-point shooting in his nine minutes per game. Uh, but this is a team that now is playing, other than DeJounte Murray, almost all of their players are average. And we showed with Oklahoma, with, excuse me, with New Orleans, when all of your players are average, it really is a big deal. If you don't have those big-time negative, offensive, inefficient offensive players on your roster, and that has proven to be true over the years. And the same is true with the Clippers. If you, uh, other than Avery Bradley, who really has become a, a tremendously uh, inefficient offensive player, they're generally positive. Uh, Lou Williams positive. Tobias Harris positive. Milos Teodosic is right on even. Gortat's right on even. Mbamute's a positive player. Danilo Gallinari was a little negative last year, but he's one of the best positive players over the years if he returns. Uh, Mike Scott, they picked up in the offseason, had a great shooting year in Washington last year as a positive point six, positive point six off your bench. Uh, again, a new statistic you're not used to, but that's a pretty big deal if you're getting that in 15 to 20 minutes. So Wesley Johnson's negative on that roster and Avery Bradley and Patrick Beverly, but that's that's it. And Wesley Johnson's not projected to play a great deal. Uh, and we'll see what their rookies do. If they play their youngsters a lot, that will bring them down because uh, youngster, almost nobody's ever efficient. Uh, Utah's interesting as the fifth team as well here because th- there hasn't been a lot of change to Donovan Mitchell who and Jason Tatum and all these younger guys who should have a big projection jump. Um, really minimize that a little bit because I didn't want to o- get into that bias, but the statistics show that year one to year two, your points gain takes a nice jump up. Uh, finishing out the Western Conference, Portland ninth again. 
Another struggle for them offensively. C.G. McCollum really did not have a very good year last year. The Dallas Mavericks at 10th, the Lakers at 11th. And so the Lakers uh, do not project as a playoff team. Oklahoma City as the 12th offensive team. Both Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook are incredibly inefficient, high-possession users. Uh, Even with what Paul George brings to the table, Oklahoma City's offense, uh, despite Russell's will... Uh, looks to have some really, you know, significant. Stephen Adams is a big positive. Jeremy Grant's a big positive. Paul George is a good positive at point five, not as good as everyone makes him out to be. But uh, Caribou Luau is a minus point five, and this is a good example. Caribou Luau, in his m- limited time on the court, six possessions. The impact of a negative player is he takes away the positive that Paul George gives you in nineteen, right like that. Uh, and then Dennis Schroeder's a minus 1.5 points per game. Russell Westbrook's a minus 1.6. Westbrook coming off the knee surgery and had a bad year last year. So Oklahoma City uh, projects offensively to be 12th, 13th Memphis, 14th Phoenix, and Sacramento could be just dreadfully awful. Uh, projecting defensive ranks to go with this, which is a little bit of a crapshoot, frankly, Uh Here's how the Western Conference standings uh, project. Golden State at one, Utah at two, Houston at three, New Orleans with home court and four, San Antonio at five, Oklahoma City at six, Portland because of their defense sneaking in at seven, Clippers at eight, Tie right there with the Denver Nuggets because of their defense being poor. So that will be a battle for the eighth spot. And then uh, the Lakers and Minnesota outside of the playoff picture tied uh, for that 10th spot. So, you know, a little surprising in the way the projections fall there that Minnesota and the Lakers both missing the playoffs. But again, this gets to LeBron and what his impact would be. And then Denver and the Clippers at eight. The surprise story here, obviously, the Pelicans as a home court team and the Spurs as high as five in the Western Conference standings. We'll look at the East. Thanks for sticking with this next on Points Created edition of Locked on NBA. Jumping to the Eastern Conference, I think you've got the concepts right now, so let's dig right in. Toronto peaks out on the metrics. They peak out as the number two offensive team in all of the NBA, the number one offensive team in the Eastern Conference, one of the top defensive teams in all of the NBA, the number one overall team uh, is close to the Warriors overall. Toronto peaks out on the charts as much as Golden State's 8.9 points gained is the highest in the Western Conference, Toronto comes in. If you take Kawhi Leonard of two years ago, or three years ago is what I took Kawhi of, not two years ago in his superstar year, and obviously not last year, but Kawhi of three years ago, uh, just to try to equalize it, Toronto comes out as a 5.7 overall. The second best offense in the Eastern Conference, a huge surprise, is a 3.5. So a big jump, and the second best offense in the Eastern Conference to my huge stunner is Cleveland. How is this possible? Well, Kevin Love, highly efficient. 1.6 points gained. One of the most efficient offensive players in the league. Kyle Korver, 1.3 points gained. Ante Zizic, 1 point gained. Larry Nance, 0.7 points gained. Channing Fry, George Hill, uh, Osmond, Tristan Thompson, all above average 
Rodney Hood, right on average. J.R. Smith with a terrible year last year, below average at minus .3. Rodney's actually minus .3. Jordan Clarkson minus .4, but not bad. Uh, Projecting in... Colin Sexton as a minus 1.5, which that's what many rookies are. That'd actually be a half-decent year. There's a chance he could be considerably worse than that. They come out as a positive 3.5. They're lacking some possessions, so that brings them down a little because they're short possessions. And certainly the question has to be how much of these numbers are elevated because they all played off of LeBron or playing without LeBron, will they get the freedom? Cleveland and the Lakers are going to be an incredible test this year for the points gained metric of individual players who are next to the greatest player to ever play in the history of the game because it has traditionally most players do not have an impact based on opponent or based on their teammates. But in this case, we're dealing with LeBron. So, Cleveland, though, second-best offensive projection, which is a little bit of a comment of how poor the Eastern Conference is. Milwaukee, the third-best offensive team, and then go back to our points gained conversation we had in the first segment about defense under Jason Kidds. They were the worst analytical defensive team uh, in the NBA with Mike Budenholzer. That'll be a huge pickup for them, so their defense will just improve points gained in regards to how they play, and they come out as the third best offensive team, the eighth best off, or the seventh best offensive team overall in the NBA. I look for Milwaukee to have a huge year. Their neg- only negative players are Pat Connington, Matt Delvadova, and Thon Maker. None of them are tremendously negative. Brooke Lopez is a nice addition uh, for them, but middle and they got rid of Jabari, Bledsoe, Middleton, Brogdon, Henson, Snell, and obviously Giannis, one of the top 10 points game players in the league, all positive, and Milwaukee comes in as the third best offensive team overall. I have them ranked as the sixth best defensive team in the Eastern Conference. I think they'll be better than that. The seventh best offense overall, 12th best defense overall, eighth best team overall. Huge jump uh, for Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the fourth best offense, the Indiana Pacers, coupled with their defense. No surprise there. They made a nice addition in the offseason. And again, very few negative possessions. Thaddeus Young is a minus .6. Corey Joseph is a minus .8. But everybody else is positive. Uh, Victor Oladipo was .9 points gained last year. The fifth best offense in the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers, followed by the Washington Wizards, then the Boston Celtics. Surprising to have the Celtics be as low as they are, but Marcus Smart is a very negative possession user at minus 1.6. You also have Terry Rozier's negative. Aaron Baines is negative. Marcus Morris is negative. This offense was not that great. Jason Tatum will have an uptick. Took Gordon Hayward from two years ago, or not his all-star year at point six positive. He could be a little bit higher. Kyrie is positive too, but frankly, they don't actually have highly efficient offensive players. If Gordon Hayward comes to all-star form that he was his final year in Utah, that'll give them a considerable jump. Brooklyn, the eighth best offense. Charlotte, the ninth. These are all now poor offenses. Atlanta, 10. Miami's Stunningly at 11, but that's largely Dion Waiters. He's a minus two points game player. When you take Dion Waiters off the floor, they'll jet up, and Waiters has a knee injury already, so that's good news for them. If you just eliminate Dion Waiters off of the Miami, they go from 11th to 8th. 
uh, offensively in the Eastern Conference. 12th Orlando, 13th the Knicks, 14 Detroit, and Chicago's miserable at 15. Projecting out with defensive ranks uh, in the Eastern Conference, how does everybody finish? Number one, Toronto by a considerable margin uh, as the number one team in the Eastern Conference. The sec- finishing second in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers with Boston third. Milwaukee getting the four-seed home court advantage. Indiana at five. Washington at six. Miami, because of their defensive prowess, fourth best in the Eastern Conference and seventh best overall, comes in at seventh. And eighth, the Cleveland Cavaliers, despite having projected the 26th-ranked defense, their offense good enough to get them into the playoffs. would be quite a story in Milwaukee. Sneaking in just in front of Charlotte and Brooklyn, uh, 9 and 10, have, Charlotte, uh, have them awfully close uh, act overall. Actually have Brooklyn at 9, uh, and Charlotte at 10. So Brooklyn just knocking on the door of the possible playoffs uh, in the Eastern Conference overall. So that's the way Pack projects, or excuse me, the way that points uh, gained projects it for this upcoming season. Again, the big question will be the impact of LeBron on teammates in L.A. and whether he changes who all of them are and the impact in Cleveland of whether or not they can actually survive without LeBron or all of their efficiency was solely based on LeBron. And again, the big story to me in the Western Conference, the drop of Houston and the rise of the Pelicans to being an offensive juggernaut and the Clippers being maybe better than people project battling Denver for a final playoff spot while Minnesota uh, and the Lakers struggle out of it. And San Antonio with an uptick. The Eastern Conference, not as many surprises to me other than how much better Toronto is than everybody else and how much Cleveland holds their position. Again, that LeBron factor. Milwaukee, a considerable jump, uh, looking to be ready to really explode. And, and with a few things happening right for Milwaukee, not quite at Toronto's level, but awfully close, uh, knocking on the door of Philadelphia. If their defense upticks at all, Milwaukee very easily could be up in the Philadelphia and Boston level in our projections. They're they're nipping uh, very very close. This is the separation between two, three, and four in the Eastern Conference uh, is. All, and actually, two, three, four, and five is almost minimal, uh, almost non-existent. Toronto is way above at one. Philadelphia, Boston, Indiana, and Milwaukee are nestled right together. Then, with a considerable drop when you get to the Washington Wizards, and then an even bigger drop when you get to Miami and Cleveland. But that would be the biggest takeaway in the Eastern Conference. We'll see whether it all comes to fruition. It's a different method. It's not as sophisticated as the great real plus minus of Kevin Pelton. It doesn't fit any of the narratives and out there has it's purely numbers based. It has no opinions on things. Obviously, it doesn't respect LeBron the way it should. Uh, we'll see whether it learns and we'll reevaluate it and uh, as we go to next year and see what we can take from that. So that is your Locked On NBA Today, the points gain projection system. A bunch of fans will decide they like it because it was good to their teams and a bunch of fans won't because it was bad to their teams. Have a great day.